0: i'm going to start off with a confession so you know in a real one i think i think it's one that some of us can relate to so i don't think i'm alone in this but i think that um i i believe right i believe i believe i believe in jesus i believe that he was a real person i believe that he came to earth that he he toiled in a carpenter's shop and that he had family, and that he had a mom and a dad, he had normal life experiences, and I believe uh, that he realized that he was the Holy One of Israel, and that he, that sent his life onto a new trajectory of, of, uh, of teaching, and of living by example, and I believe he died on the cross, and he rose again, and I believe that we have a hope for eternity because of him. I believe that. Uh, I, I desire God, like, I, I mean, I've, I've, in it, ventured into a career where where this is what it's all about right you know that's that's the point but despite all that there are times more often than I would like to admit where my uh, my desires and my beliefs and my actions aren't all pulling in the same direction where I where I make choices contrary to the reality that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead where I lay my heart at the feet of things that are less than what God has called me to. That, that, that it happens more than I, I wish it did. And I, I think that's probably a reality for a lot of us where we believe that's why we're here. That's why some of you plowed through rose clothes signs to get here this morning. I saw you. You just, just forget those, you know, forget those signs. But that's why we're here. That's why we're singing. I mean, when we sing those songs, I don't know, that, that, that does something to a lot of you. Your heart starts to respond, you know? You have the Grinch, and it's three times, it's too small. But we sing those songs, and you hear other people worshiping, and you see their expressions of worship, and it just starts to pull something out of you. Um, but we don't always make choices consistent with that. Sometimes our desires aren't consistent with that. And then sometimes our beliefs aren't consistent with that. Anybody else? All right, just me again, So just me clapping up here, just me confessing up here. We got two, me and Jason. Um, I've told some of you this story before, but back when we just had one child, you know, you would think you could manage one child because there's two of you and one kid. It's two on one. You don't have to play zone defense. And we were at at Kansas City International Airport, which has literally, literally won awards for being one of the worst airports in the United States. It's terrible. And it's terrible because it was... Perfectly designed for pre 9 11 traffic. Uh, what they did is they put all the food and the concessions and the coffee shops and all the places to hang out and relax prior to the gate Um, and then when you go to the gate now post 9-11 you have to go through security but there's nothing on the other side of the security it's just a wasteland and so nobody wants to go through security until it's time to board their plane so at your gate there's this crush of traffic trying to get to the gate trying to get through security and of course nobody's happy everybody's like impatient and they're worried about missing their flight So my wife and I and our daughter, Taya, who was probably, she must have been less than two because I think she was traveling as a lap child. But she's that walking around age, kind of semi-independent age. We were sitting pre-security. I was on my laptop. I'm sure I was doing something incredibly important. Corrine was doing something, reading a book. We were both sort of like engaged, but kind of distracted, and there was this little flurry of activity at our feet that was Taya, and we're just sitting there doing our thing, and at one point, one of us noticed there was no longer a little flurry of activity at our feet, and so one bumped the other. I don't know who was who, and we both looked down the concourse in different directions, couldn't see her. Her little legs couldn't take her very far, very fast, and so we sprang into action. We went straight from that normal, like, oh, I'm sure she's just around the corner, too. I think she's been kidnapped and and the reason we thought that is because we were at this airport and she's a lap child somebody could just pick her up and say i'm just going to take her to montreal today because there's this kid being unattended so they could go right through security nobody rarely rarely do they ask for like identification for the child i don't know if they do that so much anymore but at the time they didn't you could just wander through with the child or you could wander right out the doors and be in a car and be gone and so we were thinking she's gone like We can't see her, she can't have gotten very far. And so immediately, even though they warn you, do not leave your luggage unattended, we immediately left our luggage unattended. We immediately left our laptop unattended. We immediately left everything behind to try to track down this little girl that we were convinced was lost. We, We ran, you know, and how, you know how you kind of lose a little bit of a sense of propriety in moments like that? You become a little frantic, a little panicky, and I don't mean a little, I mean a lot and you're shouting her name, and you're stopping security guards. Have you seen a little girl, blonde hair, pigtails? Have you seen this? I'm about to rush into the women's bathroom because I thought maybe she's gone in there, but that would have created another problem, and I would that would have gotten security's attention, I suppose, so that might have been good. Um, but finally, we were like, she can't have gone this far. And so we both uh, independently reconvened back where we had been originally, and we're standing there like, what do we do? She's gone. And we hear this little rustle, we hear this little noise, and there is Taya, and she is under the seats that we had been sitting on. She's literally at my feet literally just sitting there laughing and we were like you know how parents sometimes we're not angry but we come off as angry the panic comes off as anger a little bit and we're like what are you doing and she she told us in her little two-year-old way that she had been playing (laughs) hide-and-seek you are very good at hide-and-seek child we're shocked you win We're in this uh, series called The Happiness of Pursuit. It's not a typo. I am prone to typos, but that is not a typo. The happiness of pursuit. And what we did last week is we tried to anchor the idea that our highest calling as human beings is the pursuit of God, to seek after God, to use the language of Scripture. That is what it's all about. Before the greatest command, which is to love the Lord your God, before having faith in God, you have to seek God, which means reorienting yourself in the direction of God to say, I am interested in you and knowing you and pursuing you and discovering you and understanding your character. That's like the initial step. And it's throughout scripture that it reminds us that this is what it's all about. You were designed by God to seek God. And life pulls us in all kinds of different directions. It tells us that real, true meaning and joy and happiness and purpose is down these dead-end roads. And we travel down them willingly. And eventually, we get to the end, we think, this cannot be right. We make our way back, and we think, where is it? But God has said, from the beginning, that real, true satisfaction and meaning in life is to seek His face. That's what it comes down to in Scripture. We're not, that's, that's just the reality of how Scripture um, tells us these ideas. To seek God is to forget the luggage, to drop the laptop, to stop caring what other passengers think, to drop all pretense and orient ourselves toward this one goal and this one pursuit. Maybe, uh, maybe we need to say it this way. It is, it is to be sitting up straight, our, our ears tuned, our, our eyes making full eye contact, our heart engaged our whole life, oriented toward him when you see that word seek in scripture that's what it's talking about we are a hundred percent after you that's what it's about that's where that's that's what it's all always been about we're gonna push ourselves a little bit today i want to share a few verses and i want to see if you see a theme a theme in any of these verses so if you have your bibles i'll have it on the screen but man it's a good habit just to get into opening up your bible and i love paper bibles Uh, your, your your cell phone Bible is fine. It's fine, but I don't know. I'm old school that way. So pull out your cell phone, your paper Bible, whatever it is, and turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 29. Deuteronomy is a very cool book. I realize you're like, Deuteronomy, like that's one of those books that I kind of like skip over to so I can get to Psalms or Proverbs or somewhere in the New Testament. But seriously, it's a cool book because it's a collection of speeches. I know I'm not selling some of you on it. It's a collection of speeches from Moses. They're about to cross the threshold into the promised land Moses doesn't get to go with them, if you remember your Sunday school lessons but they're about to cross and Moses is gathering everybody and he's giving them a series of speeches and he's telling them this is what the future holds for you all right this is what it's going to look like and he wraps up this speech in Deuteronomy chapter 4 he says guess what guys good news you're going to go into the promised land and you are going to fail God People are like, this is not a good pep talk. And he's like, for real, you're going to fail God and you're going to be removed from this promised land and you're going to be scattered about the nations. And I'm sure people were like, Moses, come on, this is supposed to be a good moment. You're being such a downer. And then he says in verse 29, he says, but from there, once you're scattered, but from there, once you've headed down all these other dead ends that are other, the pursuits of other gods and you're scattered, but from there... He goes on to say um, in the rest of the verse, but from there, you, you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Notice all your heart and all your soul. The next verse I want you to see is an excerpt from a letter dictated by God to Jeremiah to those same refugees. This is, this is hundreds of years later, thousands of years later. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. People really like verse 11. Take it out of context. But verse 13 says this. Uh, this is God speaking through Jeremiah, speaking to his people who are in captivity now. They're scattered about the nations. And he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart i will be found by you declares the lord now i want you to think of uh certain biblical concepts like ripple effects from a from a rock being thrown into a pond or echoes in a canyon and i want you to look at psalm 119 verse 2 this is what the psalmist wrote blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with there it is again all their heart there can't, there can't be this half-hearted, working on the computer, hopefully God's still sticking around while I take care of some other business. It's a, it's, a, it's a full eye contact, full body orientation, full heart, full ears, full engagement to God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know this verse, pure in heart, for they shall seek God. Now, I'm, most of the time, When American readers, English readers, read pure, we think of like, oh, that has to be people who never think bad thoughts. And so that's not me, you know, thought some bad thoughts, have done some bad things. But that's that's not what the word means in Greek. The word in Greek is much more all encompassing. Imagine you have an orange tree right outside your kitchen window. I know, Minnesota, but whatever. And you open up the window in the morning, the birds are singing, the sun's shining, and you reach out to that orange tree, and you pluck this fresh, ripe orange, and you take it right over your glass, and you squeeze that orange, or I don't know, however that'd be messy, but however you do it, and you fill that glass up with pure, meaning 100% orange juice. Like, cause it, have you ever looked at stuff that you you think is like, well, this should be all, it says all natural, and then there's like this, you know, five-paragraph length of all these different typical things. I mean, even stuff that says it's 100% pure. Yeah, 100% pure garbage. Like, it's crazy the type of labeling uh, uh, um, tricks that they can can do. But 100% pure. It is only that thing. And what he's saying is the people who are undivided in heart, and their hearts haven't been divided with other things and other pursuits, will see God. So you could translate it. Blessed are the undivided in heart. Um... To seek God is to be sitting up straight, turned toward him, full eye contact, open ears, open heart, whole life oriented toward him. And that's what the consistent message of scripture has been. Now, we know, we know what a divided heart looks like. We would call that half-hearted today. We would call it half-hearted. We would, uh, I, I'm thinking about when I was first in youth group. We, uh, this has been so long ago, when I was first leading youth group, I should say, uh, the popular phone to use were were the flip phones. You remember those? And if you texted people, you had to do the numerical texting, the T9 texting. So you had to hit, you know, the letter one like five times or whatever. I never could figure it out. But I noticed something. I noticed a phenomenon in youth group. Because generally speaking, teenagers, when they're listening to you, you don't necessarily know it by their body language. I mean, maybe they're not listening to you, but you you wouldn't know it necessarily. They're looking at other things. They're doing other things. But 14 years ago, when I first started in youth ministry and that T9 texting was positive and it was still kind of rude to be using your phone while people were talking at you, I noticed that kids would be texting under the table, the T9 texting, and the way I could tell is because they would be making eye contact with me, but their eyes were kind of glazed over. And I'd be like, oh, I know they're texting something serious because they just, they're totally looking like they're paying attention to me. They had mastered this technique of like this divided attention thing while giving the impression of, of full intention attention. It was this texting look. So we, we know what a divided heart looks like. You've had half-hearted conversations with people, right, where you talk for three minutes and they ask you your name like four times because they're not really listening to you. You've had half-hearted customer service where they're not interested in helping you with your problem. They're just like punching a clock, earning a paycheck. They could not care less about what's going on in your situation in your life. Um, Teachers, you've had half-hearted homework assignments turned in, right? You asked for a 500-word essay, and unbelievably, they gave you exactly 500 words. They didn't go one word over, not one word over, and about 12 of... Those words were like very and, you know, I really, 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 really liked this book or whatever. We know what half-hearted looks like. Now, we use heart, heart in a ton of metaphoric ways. We're we're all over the place with it. So, for example, we talk about like a change of heart or I know that by heart or dear to my heart or cross my heart or from the bottom of my heart. Or we say somebody's light-hearted or cold-hearted or heavy-hearted or broken-hearted or soft-hearted. All those, all those different ways are different ways of describing, like, an earnestness, an emotion that someone has. But Hebrew, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, only used the word heart in three ways. We use it in dozens of ways. Ancient Hebrew used it in three ways. The first way they used it seems a little confusing, but the first way they used it was to describe the mind. It was to describe your mind. Now, I think this is fascinating. You may not, but I don't care. The Hebrew language, the ancient Hebrew language does not have a word to describe the organ within your skull it doesn't exist they didn't think of our brains and our minds that way so when you think you think with your heart and that kind of makes intuitive sense right what happens when you get stressed do you feel it here or do you feel it here your heart races you you feel that tension that's that's why they would describe thinking as something that happens with your heart so you'll see in scripture they use that concept over and over again uh, the other one they used was desire, and that makes sense. My heart follows after you. I desire you. I long for you. That makes, makes intuitive sense. And then the other way that they would use it would be to describe the will, your choices. So it's to know, it's to love, and it is to choose. That's how they use the concept of, uh, of heart in Scripture. Sometime uh, early in our marriage, I, I told Corrine that uh, I love vegetables. (laughs) You thought that was going somewhere else, didn't you? (laughs) That I love her? No, love vegetables. And I know why I said it. I I remember the situation where I was like, I don't know if I thought it would impress her. But I literally, I told her, hey, I could be a vegetarian, you know. (laughs) I told her that. I love vegetables. I know that vegetables are very healthy for you. You can see it in other people who have, who have made vegetables a feature of their diet. I know vegetables are good for you, except for certain ones. Oh, was it time for my sermon to be done already? <laughs> I just feel like I'm just getting started. But I, I know, I have knowledge, but the problem was, over 20 years, my wife noticed a consistent uh, um, decision-making process. When, when, there, when I could choose between cooked carrots and bacon, guess what I chose? Now, what, Kareen, maybe daily, I don't know, maybe weekly, every time she'll like make food and I kind of pick at the vegetables a little bit or push her, I love vegetables, I really do. Fajita veggies, mm, so good. You know, a fresh carrot, so good. Cooked carrots, not so much. But she'll say, oh, Patrick, I, she'll say it just like this too. I'm doing a perfect impression. <laughs> I thought you loved vegetables. <laughs> and I'll say I do love vegetables. I love them. I know that they're good for me. I just don't always have the will to choose them. So it happens very frequently that I'm reminded of this claim that I made 20 years (laughs) ago to love vegetables. And the problem is the reason she makes fun of me a little bit for that is because I still make that claim occasionally. But seriously, you put green beans in front of me and french fries. I don't know. There's really no contest. So what she's saying is, is, I've made a claim to desire something that is inconsistent with my choices. The desire is real, the knowledge is real, the will, not so much. Now, an ancient Hebrew author would say, oh, Patrick, your heart with regard to vegetables is divided. It is pulling in different Directions. That's how they would describe that. They would say, there's different things going on in your heart. And I think that's a very sophisticated understanding of it. Yes, my heart is divided and it is pulling in different directions. I don't, I lack the strength to choose green beans when I should, when there's other better options. And this is a real phenomenon. You've experienced this in different places in your life. Because if we're honest, if you're honest, and I hope you are, because God's listening. If you're honest, you Follow God, you seek God with parts of your heart. Some of you seek God with your mind. And our tradition, our heritage in, in the churches of Christ, has tended to emphasize this above everything else. You seek God with your mind. And so we emphasize Bible classes. And Bible classes are good, right? We like those things. We want our children to have a solid biblical foundation because we want to seek God with our mind. That's very important. That's what we're seeking God with. Some of you really like to seek God with your desires. And this often manifests itself in worship in trying to find some sort of spiritual high, so to speak. So maybe it's like, for some people, like that's what you listen to on the way to church and you're singing and you're worshiping. And for some of you, you endure the message, the mind part of it, so that you can have the worship part of it. Some of you even attend other church services so you can get more of this because it's so important or you spend time communing with God in nature or whatever it is, but there's this this desire to express yourself, your connection to God through love. And then some of you are good people. You were the teacher's pet. You knew exactly what to say and exactly what to do. And this is the part, this is the part of your heart that most follows after God. Because you know exactly what to do. The problem is, is that our choices, our will, and our desires sometimes don't match up. What is it when our choices don't reflect our loves? Jesus called that hypocrisy. He says, you have the appearance of following after me. Your lips declare my praises, but your hearts are far from me. And so some of us have gotten very good at kind of a checklist, very religious approach to Christianity. And we we know what to choose, but it doesn't necessarily reflect our hearts. What happens for those of us who really follow God with our minds, but we don't make choices to follow God? We know, we know. But we don't choose well, scripture would call that rebellion because you know the right to do and you don't do it that that's what scripture because we're following god with pieces of our hearts well, well what about somebody who follows god with their desires but not with their mind paul said that's zeal without knowledge that's no good either because you're just all over the place you never know what's coming next you're up and down you don't know because our hearts are divided and all pulling in different directions. And the problem is, is when this happens, we become disintegrated people. And when we are disintegrated people and our hearts are pulling in different directions, there's so much tension, there's so much stress, there's so much anxiety in our lives. There's no peace because we are are saying one thing and doing another. We are believing one thing and acting a different way. We're desiring one thing, but willing another. Because we're all over the place. Our hearts are pulling in different directions. So we're disintegrated. We're fragmented people because our hearts aren't in tune and aren't pulling together in the same way. Most of us, I think, we end up settling for kind of just a half-hearted attempt not to be too bad and occasionally trying to like, well, I guess I should do this occasionally. I should try to love God or maybe I'll get into worship or, you know, I've seen some people raising their hands. So maybe I'll do the little hand raise and maybe that'll help. I'll do this, you know, praise or whatever it is. Maybe that, maybe that will do it. But most of us, when we realize, when we recognize this problem that our hearts are pulling in different directions, we lean into our strengths. So this is what I do. I, I think I'm probably more here. I'm not saying I'm a smart guy, but this is the one that makes the most sense to me. This is the one that draws me the most. And so when I feel my heart pulling my, my, in different directions, I'll really double down on the study part of it. I'll really double down on this. Well, the problem is, is that doesn't solve anything. Why? Because I haven't actually addressed the problems in my heart. I haven't addressed my desires and I haven't addressed my choices. Uh, Some of you will just worship more. I'll just worship more and then that will really do it. But no, the problem is, is you haven't addressed your knowledge. You haven't addressed your choices. Some of you, I'll just choose to do the right thing more and more and more and more. No, you've got to address those other parts of your heart that are pulling you in different directions. And let me say this, and let's be real upfront and honest. There are people who have said, I recognize This division, distractedness, disjointedness in my heart. And I find relief by just giving up and walking away from faith altogether. And there are people who have done that. And you know what? They initially do find relief. Because their hearts are no longer in conflict. Because they're no longer trying. And, And there is relief. Don't mistake that sort of peace for confirmation that you've made the right choice. Because that peace will not last. That peace just means that you've given up. And that's not what god wants from us what god is asking us to do is to do the hard work of addressing the parts of ourselves that are going in the wrong direction the parts of who we are the parts of who he's called us to be that aren't in tune with with our choices with our knowledge and divided apart is a problem it's like warning lights on the dashboard of your car I don't know if any of you are like me but for me when I see a warning light come on I tend to assume like I could probably drive for a long time it's probably just some random sensor that I don't need anyway right and I'll do that right until the car blows up a divided heart is like losing a child at an international airport and then you drop everything because you've realized that something is wrong and that's what God is calling us to do to neglect every other pursuit to neglect everything else that is not seeking him To seek God with our whole heart is to be sitting up straight, tuned toward him, full eye contact, open ears, engaged heart, whole life oriented toward him. And here's the promise, and this is cool. I'm going to invite the uh, praise team. They can come back up on stage. Sorry, I got this stuff in your way. But you guys can come back up on stage because we're going to sing one more song. But here's the cool thing. I want you to see Deuteronomy 4.29. Look at these promises. But if from there, if you seek him, if you... Pull the pieces of your heart that are going different directions back together. You will find him. I don't know if there are anybody anybody sitting here that feels like, yeah, I'm struggling to find God. I go to church every week and people say that he's real and I see other people doing this stuff. This is a promise. You will find him. Jeremiah 29 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. One of the things we try to do at church is we try to address each portion, each part of those hearts. We try to address the mind. We try to address the desire. We try to address the world. It's all part of it. And I know we're all wired differently. But that's why we worship. That's why we pray. That's why we study. That's why we, we encourage one another to be accountable and to do things like disciple groups and come to Bible classes. Because all these things reintegrate our heart toward the singular pursuit that provides joy and meaning and purpose in life. Let's go ahead and close out this morning with a song.